Have you ever uh, had a little nativity set? We bought uh, I, we, I, I bought a couple of nativity sets <laughs> over the years. Um, this one, uh, I bought a nativity set in Bethlehem. Actually, the, the city of Bethlehem in Israel. And it was really um, a cool thing. It's a little wooden set. And here is my little, my little manger. And here's baby Jesus. <laughs> and the reason we end up buying, you know, uh, multiple sets, I think we might have a picture of this. Did we get a picture of this or did we not? Oh, we didn't. Bummer. Um, I'm going it's, to, it's funny, I'm going to pass this around and you can look at it because it's a little weird. It's like, it's like, I think this one was hand carved, but every year we have this tradition at our house and it is um, looking for baby Jesus because <laughs> somehow he gets separated from the manger <laughs> as there's playing going on. <laughs> Be healed. <laughs> And so, so there's, a, there's a little manger that he goes in, but he's not connected to the manger. So he often gets disconnected from the manger, as well he should. <laughs> Foreshadowing of what is to come. And, uh, and so we, look, we have to look for him. And, and, and so I've, I've bought a couple of different sets um, because we've lost baby Jesus. But that's okay, he lives in our hearts. And so, so I'll just pass this around because today I want to talk to you about the manger. And, uh, you know, by the end of the sermon, you guys up here, Larry, you'll be able to see the manger. It'll pass its way all the way through and you can just kind of look at it. And look, It's a little weird. It's like you look at Jesus, it's a little scary. It's like a, it's like a little baby man. It's like a man baby. It's like dear eight pound tiny little baby Jesus. Um, it's a little weird, but it's, this is a little bit of a show-and-tell sermon today. Today we're going to talk about a way in a manger. We're in this series called Noel, and we're going to talk about the manger a little bit. The manger is an interesting, interesting piece of furniture in Christianity and in the scriptures. And um, it's interesting, sometimes, have you ever noticed when you, when you point uh, like, like this is a weird illustration, but when you point at something to a, you point something out to a dog. <laughs> you ever had a little dog and you're like, "Go get it, it's over there," and you do this, and as you point at it, the dog looks at your finger. It's like he doesn't, he doesn't like that's over there. No, it's and they're, they're looking at you as you. <laughs> it is a silly illustration. I'll never use it again. But here's here's what happens with the manger is sometimes the nativity. The story that Luke tells in Luke chapter 2, we see the manger and God is pointing at something with a manger and he's, and he's wanting us to see something. And sometimes when he points to it, we miss the point. We look at the wrong thing and we get kind of consumed with the manger and the, the, the animals and the donkeys and the cattle lowing. The truth is... The truth is, if you, if you take the story and you look at the, the word where they were staying, you know, there was no room for them in the inn, right? Okay, so the inn, it, it depends on which translation you look at, but there's a lot, several different ways you could translate it, but most likely 
It was a sort of a two-level house, could have been carved out of some kind of cave or rock, um, and it was typically a place where the animals stayed. So humans stayed upstairs, and then animals stayed downstairs. Most likely, that is an accurate sort of description, but it, it, I don't know how accurate it is that they were wandering around looking for a hotel to stay in. <laughs> okay, that's a very American sort of version. They weren't trying to stay in a hotel. Um, but, they were, but, they, but they were trying to find a place. Uh, they were on their way to Bethlehem. And we're going to read that story in just a second. But the manger is significant. It's significant for a few reasons. It's significant because there were shepherds who were being told, this is how you will find the baby. This is how you will know who this Messiah is as the angels were telling it to them. What happened was they, they said, you'll find the baby and he'll be wrapped in clothes, cloths, swaddling clothes, which means cloths wrapped up in a cloth, which is exactly how babies get wrapped up today. They get wrapped up, they're newborn babies, and they're wrapped up in these little cute little baby blankets now. It's, I remember the first time I learned how to do that with my kids and you wrap it, you put it up here this way and this way, and then you wrap it around and you tuck it in and it's, it's like this little package. It's really fun. So they were, the manger is significant because they were, the shepherds were supposed to find the baby laying in a manger. Not too many babies that night laying in a manger. What is a manger? A manger was a feeding trough. It's a feeding trough for animals. And so most likely it wasn't the cleanest place. It wasn't the nicest place to have a baby and it's significant to us for a few reasons. So we're just going to look at this story from a different perspective. And as God points to it, we want to see what he's saying to us. Not, not get too consumed with the manger, but see what the message of the manger actually is. So turn in, in your Bibles with me. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Where's, where's the manger now? Where is it? Who has it? It's on the second row? What in the world? I mean, this is only going to be about a 25-minute talk. I mean, they're taking a picture and they're playing with it. If a Star Wars character comes back on that manger, I'm not going to be happy. Luke chapter 2 says, In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, we're going to stop right here. We're going to camp for a second because we have to see context of what's happening. Whenever you read the scripture, you have to read it first to see what the writer was telling the original hearers. And so Luke is painting a picture here. Last week, we spoke of Luke chapter 1. This week, we start with Luke chapter 2. He, we see last week, he was painting a picture of expectation, of longing, that God was doing something new in people's lives. And we saw that through Elizabeth and through Mary being spoken to by the angel. Here, Luke is painting a picture of that time period. And he, the time period is when Caesar Augustus issues a decree that all the people should be accounted for. They were going to be registered. 
They were going to be registered with the government. Now, a little about Augustus Caesar, okay, or Caesar Augustus. The, he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, you're most, most of you are probably familiar with him. He became the sole ruler of the Roman world after an incredibly bloody civil war. And the last enemy to be destroyed, if you know your history, was the famous Mark Antony, who committed suicide after the Battle of Actium in 31 BC. So here's, here's uh, Caesar Augustus, and he's come to power, the sole ruler, after this terrible civil war. He turned the Re- Roman Republic into an empire with himself at the head. He proclaimed that he had brought peace and justice to the whole world. He uh, declared his dead uh, adoptive father, all right, as divine, began to speak of his adoptive father as divine, and so did others, and styled himself as a son of God. It's an interesting little tidbit, isn't it? Poets wrote songs about the new era, the new Roman era that had begun. Historians had told the long story of Rome's rise to greatness, reaching its, its, its apex, obviously, with Augustus himself. Augustus, people said, was the savior of the world. He was king and lord, and increasingly in the eastern parts of his empire, he began to be worshipped, Caesar worship, common for that time. So you see this picture, and, and now we get, to see, we get to start seeing insight into why Luke would have been writing this way. He understands, he's he's starting with this idea that here is what's happening on the landscape of of this history, and within this landscape, we see out on this eastern frontier, far away from all of this Roman domination, we see a baby is born, who within one generation would be called a son of God, the son of God. His followers... In a few short years, in 30 years, in a time span of 30-some years, would call him Savior and Lord. Luke knew that his hearers would understand this history and would have known what Jesus just went through as he's writing it. He was writing it to them to help remember the picture, help understand who this is and what's happening. His arrival was to bring peace and justice to the world. In fact, the angels, when they came and announced His arrival to the shepherds, they said, peace, I bring you tidings of great joy that will be to all people. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Many years later, Jesus would obviously stand in front of a Roman official named Pontius Pilate and be accused of being the king of the Jews. Luke has this context in mind as he writes He's painting a picture here for everybody because the birth of Jesus signals the beginning of something monumental. It signals the beginning of a confrontation between the kingdom of God in all its apparent weakness, in all of its insignificance, and in its vulnerability as a baby. It signals 
the coming of the kingdom of God, the confrontation between that kingdom and the kingdoms of this world. That's what the manger represents. So the manger is significant because it shapes, it begins to shape our worldview about who we are as Christians. It begins to shape our worldview about how God comes into the world. It reveals the journey. It begins to reveal a story of two very young people, a man and a very young woman, trying to figure out what God is doing and how they can obey Him. It reveals the way we must live in this kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, the manger not only shows us who, it, not just, it doesn't just show us who Jesus is. It shows us how we should live. It shows us how we should view who God is. So the journey of Mary and Joseph has lessons for us as we read along. So here it is. He's taking a census of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. The reason those, that, that, little, that little parentheses is there is Luke is trying to define for everybody which census this was. It was the first one, not the second one. So everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town I'm sorry, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's keep reading, and we'll read kind of the story in its entirety, and then we'll come back. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, once again, making them afraid, and then saying, Don't be afraid. Well, stop scaring me. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they were just as they had been told. Next week, we're going to talk about the shepherds and their role. But today, we talk about the manger. And to understand, I think, Mary and Joseph and their experience around the manger, we have to look back. We have to go back a little bit, and we have to see the context for them. So turn over one page over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and you have, to, you have to read this little story 
that Mary was, Mary was, had this experience with an angel. So here it is in verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now you understand that being betrothed, being pledged to a man was really important in this, in this day, and it probably was a year-long sort of courtship type of thing, but it was serious. It was as if they were already married. Does that make sense? I mean, it does, they, weren't, they, hadn't, they hadn't finalized the marriage. They were in the courtship phase, but it was serious business, okay? So, so they're pledged, and the, the virgin's name was Mary, all right? So the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Whew. How, many of you want, how many of you want God to say that to you? I want him to say that to me. Greetings. <laughs> Don't be afraid. You are highly favored. You have the favor of God. You are blessed. You, the Lord is with you. Amen. That's such a good greeting. And yet, here it is, Mary. Mary was greatly troubled at these words, at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Last week, I told you how if, if, if this kind of thing happened in our day, it would kind of be like an alien from outer space showing up to us and saying something to us, saying, you're going to have a child, but it's not going to be a child from your pledged husband. It's going to be a child from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and you're going to be, and you're going to, he's going to grow up to uh, cure cancer, and he's going to be the president of the United States, <laughs> and he's going to lead the, uh, the greatest end-time revival that there has ever been. And by the way, you're living on the far east side of Austin, way out in Nowheresville in a trailer, <laughs> single-wide, <laughs> and you have no money. You have nothing. That's kind of what this would be like for Mary. It was crazy. Now, she would have understood Messianic language. All Jewish people understood that the Messiah was to come. There was an expectation. They were looking for it. And the angel begins to tell Mary, this is what's going to happen to you. The angel said, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin, I've never been with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power. I can imagine the angel. You know, it's a, quite an innocent question. If we were to go any further with it, it would cease to be innocent. But it's an innocent question, and the angel kind of knowingly, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, sorry, I lost my place. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you, will cover you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. 
I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. Now, you've you got to see the manger through the filter, through the screen of this promise. Because the promise was, you're going to have a son who's going to be a king. You're going to have a son who is going to rule just as his, your father, David, the greatest king that the Israel, Israel had ever known. You're going to give birth to the Messiah, and He will rule, and He will reign. Now, of course, she's, thank you, she's not married, she's not married, she's not married, and, 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 and there's still, more, there's this crazy thing happening with Joseph. I mean, so I want you to consider how difficult this might have been to have a discussion with Joseph. We don't talk about this very much. I just want you to see the manger through the filter of her being promised these things and then having to tell her family, um, yes, um, yeah, Dad, uh, yeah, uh, an angel appeared to me, and, uh, and I'm pregnant. I can tell you right now, if my daughter said that to me, right. What do you think, I am a dummy? So what kind of ridicule what kind of crazy, awkward situation does this create for Mary? What is the, what is the discussion like with Joseph? I mean, she's saying, uh, Joseph, um, yeah, I'm, uh, oh, it seemed a lot easier in my mind to say this. I'm, um, I'm with child. Can you imagine what Joseph was thinking? You don't have to because it's written in the Bible. Go over here. <laughs> Go over here to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Right? This is Matthew's recording of the story. It's a little bit shorter. It's a little different audience that he has in mind. And so verse 18 says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I love this. This is where I think we meet Joseph. This is where we meet a man who was righteous, who was honorable. Somehow he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. So he just wanted to, to just divorce her quietly, just not make a big deal out of it. Verse 20, but after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That's in the book of Isaiah. The prophet wrote about this, which means God with us. Amen. And when Joseph woke up, what does he do? He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her 
until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You have to see the manger through the filter of what Joseph had to go through. You have to see the manger through the filter of what the experience of Mary and Joseph. Mary, this servant-hearted, willing young girl, willing to go through this very difficult season in her life, willing to face whatever ridicule and whatever doubts that her family would have about her, willing to have the discussion with Joseph. Joseph then hears from an angel, and the angel speaks to him and says, this is what you should do, and then he does it. And not only does he do that, not only does he do exactly what the angel told him to do, but he honors her, he protects her by having no union with her. He didn't treat her as his wife, he treated her as one who is carrying the Son of God. There was something about this man that we begin to see. Joseph was righteous. Joseph was obedient. Joseph was honorable. And you might think to yourself, well, anybody can do the right thing if an angel appears to them. <laughs> Not necessarily true. While we don't have angels appearing to us, maybe uh, like Joseph or Mary, we do have an incredible account of the interaction of God with humanity. We have the scriptures that reveal him to us, and we have the Holy Spirit which lives in us, and we have one another to coach us and to, to encourage us and challenge one another. Trying to, Joseph, trying to be both righteous and honorable and obedient, set up God's directive in his life. It's very difficult, very difficult for us if we're not committed to being righteous, not, if we're not committed to being obedient, it's very difficult for God's plan and purpose to unfold. We make it difficult for Him. He will try His plan over and over and over again. His mercy is huge. That's what the Scripture says. But we need to be like Joseph. We need to be like this man who is willing to be obedient, who is willing to be honorable, who is willing to pursue God's plan, even though it meant possible um, possible ridicule. It, it meant being alone, isolated. It meant going through something that other people didn't understand. So you have to see this picture of the manger. You have to see how God is working in this scene. Here they are, Mary and Joseph, and Mary is there, and the, they're about to have this baby, and they're staying on the bottom floor where the animals usually stay there's no room for them in the other parts of the house. I'm th thinking to myself, okay, so why isn't there more room in the other side of the house? Is everybody with me? Is everybody with me? Yeah. It's getting hot in here, isn't it? <laughs> look at look at me. Look, this is this is the we're, we're tying up the whole message. Here's the thing: if if Mary and Joseph are here and they're supposed to go to Bethlehem and they're supposed to be obeying a census, if a census is going to be taken, then that means there should have been lots of family members everywhere. So why were they on the bottom floor? Why didn't somebody give up their space? That's an interesting thought. Why wouldn't they have offered this baby to be born somewhere other than a feeding trough? So now, the scene where the angel appears to Mary and the angel says, you are blessed, highly favored, the Lord is with you, is ringing in her ears 
as they're sitting alone, about to have a baby in a feeding trough. This could not be how she imagined having a Messiah, having a baby that was to become the Messiah, having this king who was to be born. This cannot be, okay, this angel appeared to me, but now what? This can't be right. This can't work. This can't be working this way. God, where are you? What are you doing? And yet, Joseph, asking the same question, the angel appears to Joseph. They both know that an angel has appeared to them. They both know what the Lord has told them. So together, they become accountable for each other. They help one another. It's okay. It's all right. Keep going. Uh, not that she had any choice. Babies come when they want to. So I want you to see it through this lens, and I want you to learn some lessons from this passage. Here's some lessons. Obedience sometimes means risking Embarrassment, difficulty, uncertainty, and even suffering. That's, that's crazy. Like, is that what I'm supposed to learn from this manger? <laughs> Wait a minute. What about Jesus coming into my life and making everything better? <laughs> making everything better. See, Jesus does come into your messed up life. And he does help you clean it up. There's no doubt about that. He is not afraid to come and to set foot inside your manger, your feeding trough. But here's the thing. Sometimes what is required as we grow and as we mature as Christians is obedience that requires laying everything down. And this is what we see Mary and Joseph doing. They're following him. They're being obedient. They're doing their best. They're doing the best to... to, to to do what God has told them, and yet they're in the middle of possible embarrassment, quite a difficult thing. I don't know if you've ever traveled with a pregnant woman. <laughs> I have five different times. And while they are glowing, they are not happy to sit. They are not, ha it, it's uncomfortable, their back hurts, everything's really, it's not good, it just doesn't, it's not fun to travel with a pregnant woman. And yet here we see Mary and Joseph traveling, and she's not sitting in a nice Toyota. She's sitting on a donkey. <laughs> Women, just get a load of that. And so she's, tra she's traveling, she's, she's, she's going, and Joseph, you can imagine him walking alongside. <sighs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Mary, it'll be okay, really, it will, I promise. It'll be all right. <laughs> they get there to the destination... And they can't find any place to stay. They don't have room for them upstairs, or they don't have room for them somewhere. And there they are. Here's our place, Mary. I'm just, I just, it's important for you to see the stories of the Bible in the common terms of our experience. Because this is the point of the manger. That God comes to us, and He will Walk with us through difficulty, through uncertainty, through suffering. He will be with us. If you look at Luke chapter 9, verse 57, this is Jesus. Several chapters later, but Jesus is saying, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. 
He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Ouch! These are harsh words from Jesus. What is he saying? There was possibly no more holy and binding duty than for a son to go back and bury his father. But at this, Jesus says, even this, even this has to become secondary to the kingdom of God of which you are a part. You are a part of a different family. You are a part of another family. What Jesus is saying here is you are not, you are not going to be guaranteed creature comforts you are not going to be guaranteed the opportunity to do all the things that you think you should do. There is no way for you to look back. You must look forward. You must look ahead. This analogy of no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for the service of the king, kingdom of God, it's, we miss this analogy because we don't plow very many of us. It would be sort of like Jesus saying, no one who texts with both hands in a car while they're driving, is fit for the kingdom of God. That's kind of what he's saying. Number two, dreams often die so that God gets the glory for bringing them to pass. Your dreams often die. The things that God has told you, the things that have been revealed to you, I know Jesus has told me this, but then it doesn't seem like it's coming to pass. Mary was told something very specific Joseph was told something very specific. There's an incredible opportunity coming. You are going to be used by God in a great way, in an incredible way. And yet here they are in a manger. Here they are with a baby in a feeding trough. Dreams often die so that God gets the glory for bringing them to pass. Here's what happened. As they're there in that moment, and this is next week's talk. We'll talk about this. In that moment, they're there in the story in the stall, in this, in this um, little stable or this little um, cave, and they're looking for something. God, what are you doing? And then their miracle arrives. There's something awesome about a baby arriving. I, I've cried at every one of my five babies. My wife was like, woo She was happy and glad to be done, but I was a pool of puddles. Puddles, puddle of pools, a pool, a puddle. I was a puddle. There's something wonderful. There's a miracle that happens. Mary and Joseph, the miracle of birth, of new birth came. But not only did the miracle of birth come, not only did Jesus come to them in their dark moment, but also God gave them a clue that they were on the right path. Why? Shepherd. Some people showed up, and they were stinky, but they showed up and said, we've seen an angel. And Mary and Joseph said, you did? We did too. Oh. If you look at all the, look at this list. Look at this list of people in the scriptures that have experienced this uh, these dreams that God gives them, and yet they die, and then God somehow brings them to pass. Abraham, the dream of promised descendants. Moses, the dream of a promised land. David, the dream of a promised kingship. Jeremiah, the dream of a promised return. 
Peter, the dream of a new kingdom. Paul, the dream of freedom for God's people. John, the dream of revelation of the Lamb of God. There's, there's all these dreams that God gives, and yet there is a now, yet not yet thing that happens in the Scriptures where God is working on our character, and He's changing us, and He's putting Himself inside of us, and He's challenging us, and He's training us, and He's helping us to trust Him. He's helping us to trust Him. The manger is not just who, it's also how. Remember, God is with you in the middle of that dark moment. Remember that God is with you in the middle of the struggle. In the, he's with you in the middle of this dream that seems to be dying. It's coming. Keep going. Keep walking. Keep being obedient. Keep being honorable. Keep being righteous. And God will bring it to pass. Number three, God is not intimidated by our mess, nor is he hesitant to touch it. I love this passage, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Something happened when God sent Jesus by the Holy Spirit, he was fully 100% human. He knows our experience. And he was fully 100% God. He was from God. He was without sin in his humanness. There's something amazing that happens here. He is able to understand everything you're going through. He is able to empathize. Empathy. Do you know what that means? Empathy essentially means understanding what it's like to be in the position of another. It means being in the position of another. You can put yourself in their position and you can see how they see the world. You can understand how hard it is. You can understand how difficult it is because you have empathy for them. You see the world from their point of view. Jesus sees the world from your point of view. He knows. He's not afraid of it. He's not afraid of touching it. He's not afraid of getting into your mess. And that leads us to the final Point, Jesus comes to us in our darkest moments and reveals himself. Matthew 4.16, it's, it's quoting Isaiah, the prophet, who hundreds of years earlier had said this very thing. The people living in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Here's the question today. What is your manger? What is your manger? What is the place that you've come to in your life where you're thinking, wow, this, this, isn't, this isn't what it seemed like it should be. Some, something should be different here. I should have a different life. Something else should be going on. That place of confusion or uncertainty. The kingdom of God, being part of the kingdom, God putting his kingdom in you is being able to Understand how to humbly and innocently and vulnerably accept what is and still believe that God is at work. Jesus wants to send his light into your dark place today. So close your eyes and let me, let's pray together. As you're thinking, most of you didn't have to think long to to. To, to sort of have that moment or that, that idea. What is it that's exalting itself against God's dream in your life? The discouragement that you're facing in the moment. The disillusionment that you feel 
because you feel as though you were promised one thing, but then there's something else going on and you can't quite see what God's plan is. You can't quite see how he's going to rescue you, but you want to have faith. You want to trust him. I want to pray for you today. I want us all to pray together today for you. If you feel as though you are you can identify with Mary and Joseph and there is a, a manger that you're kneeling at today and you're struggling to find your way. I want you just to lift your hand up in the air and let me pray for you. Yep, I see, I see you, I see that. Yeah, hands all over the place. So let's just pray together and let's ask the light to dawn in our hearts. This is the way that God works Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here today and that through this story, through these ideas, through Mary and through Joseph, through the manger, as we see the manger, as we see it, and we view it as a Christmas card sometimes, but it was, it was not a happy and joyful moment for Mary and Joseph. It was, a, it was a moment of doubt. It was a moment of struggle. It was a moment of difficulty, and as we see that today, we want to invite you in to our moment of difficulty. We want to trust you. We want to put our faith and our hope in you. We want, Lord Jesus, for you to see everything that we have and everything that we are, and even our mistakes and our failures. You're not afraid to touch those either. You know about them, and you will forgive them. And so, Lord, help us. Help each one of us as we kneel at this difficult manger. First of all, we give it to you. We surrender to you. We choose to be obedient and we choose, we choose to be honorable. We choose to be righteous. We choose you above our circumstances. We choose you beyond all things. And then secondly, we ask you to help us to trust you. We ask you to help us to stir our faith, to believe that you really are at work. We ask you to help us to be obedient. Help us to follow after you as Mary and Joseph did. Help us to see. Help us to be suspicious that you are working. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Finally, Father, I pray that you would be with each one of us who raised our hands today. Be with them in a way that is sort of beyond even our own just sort of thinking or our own struggle. Be with them in a tangible way. I pray that you would speak to them. I pray like you brought the shepherds to Mary and Joseph to encourage them. Would you, would you help each one of us to see the clues that you have? Would you bring people across our path to encourage us that you are working, that you are with us, that you are indeed at work and, and your plan is happening, it's unfolding? Would you send people across our path? Would you send little tiny clues to each one of us by your spirit? Let your purpose be accomplished in us so that we can follow you with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. 
And now just finally, if you're here this morning and you've uh, gone through this whole service and, and you just have been away from the Lord for a long time, or maybe you've just never given your heart to God, maybe you feel like you're your life is just going in a wrong direction. And today you want to make a commitment. You want to renew a commitment or you want to say, okay, I'm going to dedicate my life to Christ. I know he's calling me. I know through this service, I know he has spoken to me. I want to follow him and I want to decide once and for all. If you're far away from him and you want to follow him, you want him to, he's already come near you. He's just asking you to receive him. Is there anybody here who would say, I want to commit my life to Christ or I want to, I want to dedicate my life to him again, maybe for the first time today or the first time in a long time? Would you just shoot your hand up in the air just to, just to, yep, I see your hand. I see that. That's good. One more. Yep. Anybody else? Yep. Two, three. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's so good. It's so good to do that. It's so good to just, without restraint, just say, yes, Jesus. Yes, I'm going to follow you. Yes, I want to know you. I want you to take me. Now let's pray this prayer together. And I want to encourage you. We all say things that we don't mean way too often, but this is a prayer that is not, it's not magic. It doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything in and of its own. But you say these words and you believe them in your heart. You mix faith with them and something incredible happens. You're made into a new person. You're born again. So I want us all to say these words together. Let's share them together. Would you say them out loud with me? Everybody say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Forgive me for my sins, for not following you, for doubting, for living in fear, for living my own way. I give up. I surrender to you. I want to follow you. I want you in my life. I want to make you Lord and my Savior, the one who saves me from my sins. Come and rule in my heart, Lord Jesus. Father, thank you for what you're doing in people's hearts even in this moment. I pray that you would seal the work that you're doing by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would surround them and protect them. I pray that you would walk with them. I pray that you would help them on this journey of faith that they're on. Thank you for doing this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's so good what he's doing this morning. The last thing we're going to do today is we're going to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. And so if you want to prepare to give, that would be great. Those of you who just com committed your life to Christ, I really want to know about you. So if, if any of you in the room would like to kind of tell me about what God did in your life, I'd like to help you with next steps. So get your little connection card that you have that's in your worship guide. Get that connection card. There's a little square down there and you can just mark that off. And... Uh, and you can turn that into the offering. You can just drop it in the bucket as it goes along, or you can drop it in these uh, boxes way out here by the, by the doorway. Um, I would love to know what Jesus is doing, and I'd love to help you with next steps, all right? And, of course, any of you, rest of you, you can fill out prayer requests with that uh, connection card and that kind of thing. So let's pray over our tithes and offerings. Come on, stand up with us. We give because we worship Jesus. We give because it's worship to God. And one of the best ways that we show that we live for Him 
and that we surrender our lives to him is by parting with our hard-earned cash, which is something that grabs onto our lives so easily, so easily. And so the number one reason we give in this offering is not out of duty. It is not because we have to. It is not because we should, and indeed we should. It is, there is a principle at work here. There is a pattern of sowing and reaping in the earth. And when we, when we apply it, it works. There's no doubt about that. But that is not the first reason. The first reason is, is we worship him. We worship him. We honor him with 10% of what we have, and, and we just give it away. And so I um, appreciate you giving and giving away to people who are in need, giving away so the kingdom can be built. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness. You gave to us. Now we give to you. We give to you because we love you. We give to you because we are in awe of you. We give to you because we want you to do something beyond ourselves, beyond our own ability. We give to you because we want to expand your kingdom and we want other people to know and to hear the message. And so, Lord, we give in this offering to serve you and to serve your purpose. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Come on, let's worship the Lord while we give.